0: Up, we get all excited. <clears throat> so I'll get my corny joke out of the way right. Today we're talking about the wise men, and this uh, guy went down south and he went to a diner and he walked in the diner. He uh, um, looked across the street and it was a manger scene. It looked kind of funny because all the wise men had fire hats on, right? And he's kind of perplexed and he says to the waiter, "What's the deal with the fire hats on the wise men?" And she goes, "Oh, you must not be from the south." And he says, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, don't you know the Bible says the wise men came from afar? So today's message and this, today's passage, it implies some things that we all got to be focused on. Wise men, they're, they're, you know, what does it really mean to be a wise man? The Bible talks about wisdom and knowledge, and they're both reincurring themes. And they're related, but they're not synonymous. In other words, the dictionary says wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, and lasting. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. So knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. Wisdom cannot exist without knowledge. And so the example I think was a good illustration is it's like you can know how to use a firearm, but it takes wisdom to decide when it comes out of the holster or when it stays in the holster, right? Difference between the two. Uh, God wants us to have knowledge of him, and he expects us to know things about him, as the video showed. Uh, and in order to obey him, we have to have knowledge. The Bible says, they'll know that you're, you're my disciples if you obey my commands, which implies you have to have knowledge of those commands, right, in order to obey them. Knowing facts about God in the Bible is not all there is to wisdom, because wisdom really is a gift from God. James one five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, and he who gives generously without finding fault It'll be given to you, us, because God blesses us with an wisdom in order to glorify Him and use the knowledge we have of Him for His glory and our good. Makes sense. The Book of Proverbs speaks of uh, wisdom in one seven. Here's a quick trivia question: What is the first thing God created? The very first thing God created. Anybody got a guess? You don't have to, John. What do you do? No, first thing God created. Wisdom, yeah, you know, it's good. Proverbs 8.22 says, I brought with wisdom forth before any of my works of old, right? Before the creation of the world, before angels, before everything. In fact, it says that wisdom was at God's side throughout all the creation process. I personally believe what that says is God could have took everything that we have in our scriptures today Made a Bible, set it somewhere on earth, and everything still would have happened exactly how he said it did, not because he would have made it happen, but because he knows how things have happened, and he knows how to orchestrate life for his will always to be done. I love first Corinthians one thirty because it says and, in, and because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. It can be said that wisdom in turn acts appropriately on the knowledge provided by God for God's glory and our good. Big difference there. Knowledge is knowing things. Wisdom is how to apply those things that you know in a way that honors God and brings truth to light in the world we live in. And so wisdom is a fitting application of knowledge. And I think that knowledge sees quicksand, but wisdom knows how to walk around it. Knowledge sees a light as red and what that means, but wisdom says I should slow down or I should stop, right? And so I think when you look at our passage, there's a, a, an example in this passage that there's wise men and then there's not wise men. Wise men or fools, for, for spake, right? So we have these wise men, and, and to me, you know, when you look at it, few, fools are people who refuse... To believe God and His word I Believe it's in Scripture. You're either wise or you're a fool. And the wise accept the faith of God's word that is given, and today we find both in the passage the wise men who did' only search for Christ and the fools who scorned and ignored the revelation of God that He was coming. It's interesting in the passage because, you know, there's a lot of things in the Christmas story that we sometimes uh, don't realize are are really not the way it happened. You know, for example, the wise men aren't at the manger scene, right? Wise men don't show up until a couple years later when they're in a house. And so, and do we know how many wise men? No, we don't know how many wise men. We assume there's three because of the gifts given, but there could have been two or could have been five. But we just think that because of the gifts given, there were three. Um, We don't really know exactly where they came from. We know they came from the east, right? And so, you know, when you look at the Christmas narrative, there's a lot of things that are in there because it fits really well. If you go to my house, in front of my house, I have a manger scene and the wise men are there. They don't have fire hats on, but they're there. And they're all there because it represents the entire story and it's hard to tell the entire story, uh, you know, if you don't somehow encapsulate it. But we have to understand what is true and what isn't. And so... You know, they, you know, I think that the interesting thing I find is that along the way they're following the star, and then somehow when they got to Jerusalem, like most men, they got lost, right? They kind of lost their way, and they had to kind of stop and get some directions and just try to find out some things. It's interesting because they say if women would have been the wise women, they would have arrived early, they would have helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, brought practical gifts like babies are us and included diapers, wipes, and formula, Right? But it was the wise men who came, got lost along the way. But these men, like most men, unlike most men, recognized they needed to ask for some direction. So I think that you know the first fool we encounter in Scripture is King Herod. They used to call him King Herod the Great. Herod was a political machine, a leader in Israel. He was calculating, and he was cruel, and uh, he was calloused. And it was in the later years of his life, and he thought he would rule forever. Right? And he wanted to, to establish his kingdom, and he had, if, uh, over his people, he had absolute power, and he used the scriptures only for his convenience when it made sense for him. Uh, but he chose to ignore the scriptures that were stated about the Messiah coming and who he was, and he wanted him eliminated because Jesus would be a threat to his throne, wouldn't he? He had knowledge, but he didn't have wisdom. You can see the difference in Herod. And it's kind of interesting that we look at it. He's the political leader of the land, and he wasn't interested in what the true meaning of the the scriptures was. It's the same in our political culture today. Nobody in Washington, D.C. really is looking to the scriptures to determine how we should live our life and rule our nation. It's no different. They're as ignorant of the scriptures as Herod was. They have them, and we have scriptures in abundance but we don't use it to apply to the knowledge we have so that we rule and govern wisely in God's eyes. And so we, as we move on in the story, we see that the story of the wise men has always been somewhat surrounded by mystery, and there's a lot of questions people ask. And at the end of the day, you know, the wise men come and go really quickly in the story. It's 12 verses that really are around them, and then they're gone because in the essence... The story isn't about them, it's about Jesus, right, and the importance of Christ. And so these wise men show up suddenly and out of nowhere and just as quickly they're gone. And so when we we look at it, just as the wise men did 2,000 years ago, wise men and women still diligently seek after him because of the knowledge of God that we find in Scripture Instead of focusing on what we don't know about these men, let's look at some of the things that we do uh, know about these men that are pertinent to us. First of all, all wise men and women, journey is a journey of faith. Listen to the question they asked. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. When I read this, I think that it it would cause someone to really think about the fact that They had knowledge that uh, there was a sign that was going to be given that would signify the birth of the God-man. And so they immediately, when they saw the star, they realized this was it. And they left everything they had, and they went to pursue the object of this vision. It's kind of interesting. How many of us would leave everything we have at a moment's notice for God and go and serve him or go and do something based on his calling. It took a great sacrifice on their part to do that. And I think that, you know, there's no doubt in in the words they used to use that that has been a a question that simply was something they were anticipating was going to get answered at some point in time. They had knowledge, but they also had wisdom to follow that knowledge so they would find the Savior. It's an interesting You know, the the scribes of the day and, and the religious people of the day, when they come to Jerusalem and they ask, Where is he to be born? They knew the answer. They had the knowledge, but they didn't have wisdom to drive or walk, I should say, five miles to go see that person, to go see the fulfillment of that prophecy. To me, I think that we don't realize how sometimes it takes to be a sacrifice to truly search for Christ in Christmas. But at the end of the day, I know that was the same thing that Abraham felt, right? When they asked Abraham to leave his land and go to a land he had not known and leave everything behind at the command of God. And the Bible says, so Abraham left as the Lord told him. He had knowledge of what God wanted him to do, and he had the wisdom to follow it. To me, Noah had knowledge of of, of what God asked him to do to build an ark. It took him some hundred years to do it. And he obeyed God. He had wisdom to know it was the right thing to do. And so we see that all through Scripture, people who had got a word from God and followed God's calling along the way. Peter, Andrew, James, and John left their jobs and family to become fishers of men because following God is a journey of faith based on Scripture. And for some of us, it's forgiving others as we want to be forgiven. That can be tough for us. For some, it's obeying scripture when it comes to stewardship and financial responsibility and to love one another as you, as God has loved us. Those are tough commandments. We have that knowledge. The question is, do we have the wisdom to apply it to our life in all situations and circumstance? And think about it. We have the full counsel of God. They didn't, right? They only had the Old Testament writings and the revelation of God incarnate. We have everything. And the question for us is, do we just have knowledge or do we really have wisdom? Because they're two different things. See, a wise man's journey involves faith, but it also involves worship. When the wise men went on this journey, it was for one single purpose, and that was to worship the king of kings. They brought with them three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I would pushed to suggest that that means they knew why they were coming because those gifts had purpose as we sung about right first of all gold represents wealth kingship in those times gold is a gift fit for a king it reminds us today that god deserves our very best god deserves the best we have to offer because he is the king He was labeled the king at his birth and he was labeled the king at his death. John 19.19 wrote that he was on his cross, was put Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. In Isaiah it said that on the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end and on the throne of David over his kingdom established it to uphold it. Luke tells us, He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, for his kingdom will have no end. And later in the book of Revelation, it says, On his robe and on his thigh his name will be written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I think the wise men knew who he was. He was going to be that, the King of kings and the Lord of lords frankincense kind of an interesting substance it represents deity they recognized him not only as the king but as God himself frankincense is mentioned 17 times in the bible and it is used as incense during prayer and in sacrifices we know that it's not right to worship a man unless that man is also God I think these wise men were much wiser than we think I think they realized that this was God in the flesh and they came to worship him as such. And frankincense was only used in the temple for worship. In the Old Testament, God's people had to go to the temple to meet with God. Today, uh, our our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit versus then being just the temple itself. And one of the things you would see in the back of the temple was the altar of incense. And there would be hot coals and they would take the frankincense and they would pour it on the coals and it would create a a scent and smoke that would rise up. And the picture was that that rose up to God, right? And so the interesting thing about it is that frankincense was only used to make incense for the holy temple. In other words, it was a controlled substance. You couldn't use it in your home or anywhere else for that matter. It was the only place that it could be done. So, in essence, if they brought and gave him frankincense, it really was against the law, per se, unless it was an act of worship of God, which is exactly what they did, when you think about it. To me, also, they brought myrrh, which represents sacrifice. It was what they anointed dead bodies with before they would bury them. It also speaks of him being our savior, that he actually was born to die for mankind. When you think about it, these gifts were appropriate because these wise men came to worship the king. The worship involves a journey. It requires faith. To me, the Magi sent a very powerful message that this little one was not just born. He was born to die a death for all. The wise men came not to cuddle the baby Jesus and tickle his chin and say gucci, gucci, goo, right? They came to worship him because they knew who he was and how profound his birth was. They had knowledge, but yet they had wisdom at the same time. See, the ancient magi were sort of, uh, if you look at most theologians, they kind of look back because we, we know they're from the east. The Bible doesn't say, how far they came, we think it took a long time, and there's reasons for that. But when you really look at uh, you know ancient history, it say that they were Magi, which was a hereditary priesthood of the Medes, which is now present day the Kurds. You would hear you would hear us talk about them, and they were credited with a profound and extraordinary religious knowledge. And so, uh, some of the Magi showed themselves uh, with the ability to interpret dreams. So Darius of Persia, you may remember him from Scripture, brought them in and made them both the religious leaders but also the state leaders because they had such knowledge and they had such wisdom. It was written that, and it was a dual capacity whether civil or political counsel was vested in these, this, their religious authority, and the Magi became the supreme pe- priestly caste of the Persian Empire one of which, one of our prophets, Daniel served, didn't he? In fact, one of the names for Daniels so or the title for Daniel was Rob Mag, which means chief of the Magi. And I want, I want to suggest that Daniel was the prophet, right? Daniel prophesied many things. Daniel was a servant of God. Is it too out of line to say Daniel probably... in? invoked his wisdom and knowledge into a certain sect of men because we don't know, were they Jews? Were they Gentiles who believed? Who were they? But somehow these men had a knowledge of what God was going to do and how the sign would come, and they had been looking for it. And for some reason, when you look at this connection between Uh, this ancient priesthood and what we see today in the story, it seems to make sense that these men served under Daniel. Most theologians think so. And what they think is that these men then knew the sign, and when the sign came, they knew it was time to go and see the fulfillment of what Daniel taught them hundreds of years before that. Isn't that interesting when you think about it? Let me make it even more interesting for you. Both the Persians and the Jews, Jewish nation had regained their independence at one time, the Jews under the Maccabean leadership, and the Persians as the dominating ruling group in the Parthian Empire. It was at this time the Magi uh, the and their dual priestly government office was composed under what they called the Council of the Magistrates, where we get our word magistrates today from. And their main duty was to include it to be the choice and election of the king of the realm, they were kingmakers. So, Because you kind of wonder in the story when they come into Jerusalem and they're asking where is the king of the Jews, why Herod and everybody else was disturbed. Here comes these magi from the east, kingmakers, looking to crown a new king. I'm sure that made Herod a little uneasy. Herod was more interested in maintaining his power and not seeking and recognizing the True power in God. It's interesting because it's this these Persian kingmakers that enter Jerusalem and cause such a reaction that causes everyone to see their true colors. Herod met with them in secret. And then he deceived them because he had his own purposes in mind. I think you find in this story the conflict that all of us have. Many in today's day, there's probably very few people in in America that do not have some knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he is. But very few apply that knowledge in a way that demonstrates wisdom in terms of worshiping and honoring Jesus Christ for where he is. Most people in America want to have their own control and their own authority over their own lives, and they don't want to be told how to live and what to do and what not to do. And so they live like the world wants them to live. It's a battle that we've seen throughout the ages. Knowledge versus wisdom and how it clashes because they're not the same. See, a wise man's journey of, he needs a, has a journey of faith and that faith always uh, uh, ends in worship, but a wise man's journey always involves change. It says in Matthew, but when it was time to leave, they went home another way because God had warned them in a dream not to return. It's interesting to me they made this long trek they probably had their gps their god positioning system in the star and they thought maybe we're going to follow that back home and then an angel comes to them in a dream and says hey go a different way see they had knowledge to go a different way but they also had the ability and wisdom to change to recognize what god wants them to do for their lives it's interesting because way back when, when they came out with MapQuest, I don't know if you remember, that was the first way to go online and find things. Now I was, I was reading a story about funny things on, on the Internet, and one of the things this guy said was if you typed in in the MapQuest how to get from Japan to China, you know, it gives you all those little different steps. You know, turn here, do this, do that. Step 43 was to, to get a jet ski and take it across the China Sea and the China, which I thought was pretty funny, right? <laughs> you can't find that today, but it's interesting how we sometimes think we know what God wants us to do but it's amazing how we all adapt our own way to get there or to detour or to redirect or to rationalize that's not what God wants us to do they were told to take a different route and to me I think once you have a journey of faith and you're worshiping God it always results in some kind of change doesn't it if you came in this morning and you're busy from the season, the minute you sit down and you realize that I'm here because I'm going to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords and then you sing your hearts out to God, it changes you somehow. And when you hear God's word and you reflect on what he has for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, it should make us all realize that, hey, look, who am I following? What set of knowledge am I utilizing to apply to my life in a way that shows I have wisdom in Christ? You see it all through scripture. Jacob wrestled with God and touched him, and Jacob never walked the same the rest of his life. Isaiah stepped into God's presence, and immediately he said, Woe is me, I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. Job questioned God over and over again, but finally he said, I am speechless. Words fail me before your presence. It's the last time you've felt that way yourselves. See, the great promises of Scripture are found in the book of James, James being the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine growing up in the same house as Jesus? There's probably all kinds of knowledge there. It's interesting because it says there's two kinds of wisdom in James there's earthly wisdom, and he says it's unspiritual and it's of the devil. So there's a lot of knowledge in the world today, but some of it is not of God. And the Bible calls it unspiritual and of the devil. And to me, anytime you see anyone who is selfish ambitions are controlling what they do, it's a sign that it's they're using and applying knowledge in a way that is unwise, like Herod did. In some regards, like our own leaders do at times. To me, you know, the world tells us if you want to get ahead in life, get everything you can, right? Any way you can, like Herod, be deceptive because it serves your purposes. Do things in secret so nobody else has to know, so you have that competitive edge. Focus on what's in it for you. Just do it. James says there's another kind of wisdom. It's heavenly wisdom. This wisdom comes from God, and he says it's a kind of wisdom that loves peace, is considerate, full of mercy, and is impartial. Wisdom is heavenly wisdom. In other words, it comes from God. And James says one more thing about wisdom. And he says this. If any of you lack wisdom, this is awesome. If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God. So that makes sense, right? Who gives generously to all. And here's the key. Without finding fault. And he will, it will be given to him. In other words... The only condition he places on getting wisdom wisdom to understand knowledge and apply it to your life is you have to ask. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be in a right state or place because he does it without finding fault, which implies we're all going to come to him with faults. We're all going to come to him with issues. We all sin. We all make mistakes. And here's the beauty. He'll give you wisdom without finding fault. To me, when I look at the wise men, a couple things amaze me about them. Yeah, it's a journey of faith, and yes, they came to worship, because you know the Bible says that before they you know, did anything when they got to the house, they did what? They worshiped. See, what I'm amazed at these guys is I'm sure their lives were as busy as ours were when they realized what was going on. When they got that sign in the sky, they realized it probably wasn't the best time to pick up everything and go. It probably was going to be a disruptor to their whole lives and their positions and their authority, not knowing when they came back would it still be there, but they got up and left. And in the busyness of their life, I think this is what makes me amazed, the wise men found God while they were busy. And I think this would be something that we should all see today because I think during the holiday season we're all busy. They were just doing their jobs when God spoke to them. And I think we sometimes forget that God wants to speak to us through all the circumstances of our lives. Think about this. There's 168 hours in the week. If every one of you here spent an hour every day praying and searching the scriptures, right, that's seven hours a week. And then you sleep eight hours a week. That's 56 hours. That basically gives you 105 hours left in your week for yourself, work and some other things, right? So why is it that we think God's only going to speak to us in those seven hours and not in the other 105? Why would he not speak to us in the circumstances of our life, at work, in our family, with our friends, in the tasks that we do? All of our circumstances we face are designed by God. He's in charge. And we must learn to use the knowledge to face them with wisdom from God. That's what made the wise men wise. To me, I think these things matter. Yes, it matters to spend time in his word, but I think it's, it matters more to really understand the presence of God in the remainder of those times you're not in the word, you're not in prayer, you're not worshiping God in your car. To me, that's really what Christmas is all about in the midst of all the busyness is to realize that we can spend some time really seeking after God because he's in all of the stuff. He's in the family parties. He's in the celebration. He's in the relationship issues that may f- you find yourself in. He's in the financial issues when it comes to always spend. He's in all those things, and he wants his presence to be utilized, and he wants his knowledge to be applied in a way that's wise for you and for his glory. Makes sense. What I also marvel about them is the wise men found their direction by consulting the scriptures, didn't they? When they got to a place where they didn't know what else to do, what did they do? They sought the scriptures. They went to, quote-unquote, the religious leaders of the day and said, okay, where is he supposed to be born so we can finish our trip? They started out by following the star. They got sidetracked in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, their God positioning system came in and said, okay, let me show you where to go now. We're going to go to Bethlehem. And you're going to find them in a manger that's all i got bethlehem manger i wonder how many mangers there were in bethlehem right the third thing and i think that made the wise men that really kind of inspired me about them. That before they gave their gifts they worshiped them it says when they came upon the house they bowed down and they worshiped him isn't that the first thing we should always be doing is we should be able to worship God for who he is. And then when we're worshiping and pouring out our hearts to him, it's amazing how easy it is to free up the wallet and give God what he so abundantly gives to us, doesn't it? Makes sense. To me, I think the fourth thing and one of the last things is the wise men. If God, in my mind, if God can use a star to direct the wise men, he can use anything to direct us to him, can he? It's amazing because I saw a movie called The Star of Bethlehem, if you, if you ever get it. Phenomenal movie. How many people have seen it? It's a phenomenal movie, a couple. If you watch it, it's about a guy who f- just, he's, he's perplexed by the star issue, the, the whole star thing. And he uses technology from Nassau. so he's, this, he's a lawyer. Don't hold that against him. And he, and, and, but he also loves uh, Astronomy, and he gets into this, and he realizes that he uses all this technology from Nassau, and you know the precision of the world and the universe as God's made it. Knowledge, right? He applies that knowledge, which is wisdom, to go back in time and see what was going on in the skies that would cause these guys to recognize something was different. I'm not going to give you the thing. You got to watch it because you'll blow you away. It starts off real slow, by the way, but then it really gets going but watch at the star of Bethlehem. And to me, if God would use a star to reach these wise men and guide them, he can use anything to bring anybody to him because he came to seek and save the lost. We need to just be people who give people the answers to the questions they're asking about life and eternity. Because here's the main thing. I think the wise men, if they can find Jesus, so could we. They travel thousands of miles to find Jesus found in a manger. The beauty of the story to me at the end is anybody can find Jesus if you're willing to seek after him. If you're searching for God, you will find him. To me, I think Herod did everything he could to not find Jesus. He did everything he could to wipe out Jesus. Jesus. That's the reason why we think the wise men came when he was about two years old because Herod's decree was to kill every child two years and younger because they didn't return like he asked them to. He said, hey, go find him. When you find him, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. In translation, so I can kill him. And when Herod realized what had happened because he asked them in the passage, when did you find this star? When did you start coming here? And his deduction says, okay, every kid... Two years or younger dies. Also prophesied in the scriptures. Think about how God orchestrated Christmas just for a second. This wasn't some random gifts, it wasn't some random men, it wasn't some random occurring of events. Daniel, some many years before this, is prophesizing, some hundreds of years before this. He orchestrates everything, including the skies, and then stops it. So these guys come to Jerusalem and ask the religious leaders of the day where he's going to be born. They tell him an indictment on them. It shows that that Israel wasn't really interested in God. They had a form of godliness without any power. And then God brings all this together prophesied many years ago in perfect perfection and then protects his child by having him flee to Egypt to me knowledge is one thing but wisdom is another it's one thing to know something it's quite another thing to believe something to a point that changes your life that's why they were wise men when their knowledge manifested in such a way and they applied it to their life they experienced the greatest event in human history Jesus God in the flesh can you imagine can you just imagine after their journey the the wonder and awe they must have had in terms of who God was I'm going to ask you right now as we come to the close here is that still the case for all of us? Do we still have that sort of that magical awe of understanding what God did and why we celebrate it? And then more importantly, how we need to communicate it to a world that's out there with a bunch of knowledge but is living in darkness because it doesn't have the wisdom of Christ. That's our calling that's what we. That's to me. That's what Christmas is all about: is to remind us how unbelievably awesome God is to orchestrate all of this, to prophesy it, and 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 to place everything in place for the benefit of those who are interested in seeking after Him. That's our calling as a church not just to celebrate Christmas, but to be those wise men and women who are willing to go out and recognize those in the world who can't or haven't figured it out yet and share with them the good news of all that God did to bring to light the truth of his word. So I don't know if you're here today and you, maybe you're caught up in the Christmas thing and you just really haven't spent time recognizing what this is really all about. Maybe you've let the busyness crowd out God in the midst of your work and your responsibilities and all the shopping and the family things and everything else that goes on with that. And maybe today when we're singing, you can just come down and say, Lord, I, I want to give the rest of this time to you. I want to figure out a way to be wise with the knowledge you've given me about your son Jesus to my circle of influence. Wouldn't that be cool? And if you're here today and you've never realized what the, the, the extent that God went to to orchestrate this whole birth of his son for you, it was for you, so that he would come and die for our sins, so that we may be forgiven and have the ability to have a relationship with his father for eternity in heaven, it's all about Jesus in the end. The wise men were only wise because they followed him. Herod was only a fool because he disregarded what was known and he was more worried about him. Don't worry about what the world wants for you. Seek what God wants from you. And it's just a simple prayer if you're here today. It's just, Lord, I recognize you were sent by your Father to come and live a perfect life and to die a perfect death so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And in doing so, as I accept that and trust in that, I know everlasting in life because of what you did. And I ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life and lead you and guide you in all knowledge and wisdom to apply that which you know and learn. It's the point of Scripture. To me, that's the cool part. We don't always get it right, but we always have the opportunity to get it right. Amen.